just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Our final four is set. San Diego State and FAU, Miami and UConn, just as we all expected. Of course, we'll be looking forward to the final four. We'll have our thoughts on that later in the show. At the top of the show, though, we have to talk about the Princeton Tigers, the last representative for New Jersey in March Madness. They lose on Friday night to Creighton. Creighton goes on to lose to San Diego State in the regional final there. But when you look at this Tigers team and what they were able to do and the attention that they were able to get for themselves and a lot of people, not just here in New Jersey, but really around the country, it seemed like they were embraced. Another Cinderella run for them and and a lot to be proud of, Jerry, as the, the Tigers bow out of the tournament. First of all, no Cinderella. The Cinderella was the seed was an accident. 15 Princeton was much better than that. We we said this all season, right, Steve? I mean, we Absolutely. must have said it. We must have said it in every single episode of Jersey Jump Shot about how good the Ivy League was and how good Princeton was. So, to me, and I think they would agree, they were not a Cinderella. They were just grossly underseeded. Uh, and so, it was. I got to say, it was a lot of fun covering Princeton's run to the Sweet Sixteen, especially this past week when they had the stage to themselves. Uh, you know, I got to talk to Bill Bradley, who. Listen, you do this a long time and, you know, you just sort of it's a you don't get too worked up to do any interviews. I got to say, I was really excited to talk to Bill Bradley. I mean, the greatest New Jersey college basketball player ever and really just a New Jersey legend in general, a three term senator and a you know New York Knicks great two time NBA champion. So that was awesome. Uh, he, he's still paying attention. And he had a funny line when he said uh, he said to me. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for writing about pick and rolls and not NFTs. <laughs> he's he's still a student of the game, man. So that was great. And then we went out to you know I went out to Louisville with Princeton. Uh, totally worth it. I wrote something about all the the, the senior theses the players are writing, the the depiction of homesteads in dystopian novels. Guys, dystopian novels? Did you ever think those words would appear in a college basketball story? Uh, Zach Martini, who's a Jersey guy, sharpshooter off the bench for Princeton out of Gill St. Bernard's and Somerset County. He brought uh, Franz Kafka with him as leisure reading. The Metamorphosis as leisure reading and on his trip to Sacramento. So it was fun. These guys are different. I thought they handled the national stage great. Mitch Henderson like Shaheen Holloway the year before, did as much media as he possibly could to seize a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to to burnish the brand of Princeton basketball. And, uh, look, it wasn't a great matchup. Creighton's like Princeton on steroids. Uh, when Creighton hits their shots, as we know, it gets contagious, and they're really tough to beat. And that's what happened against Princeton. 
Uh, the first half was fantastic. It was one of the best halves of basketball I saw all year. But Princeton just could not sustain the pace. Uh, credit to Creighton for for uh, you know shooting really well and, and outgunning Princeton in what was a terrific game. Look, Princeton fared better than than Xavier. They fared better than Houston. They they played better than Alabama. The other three teams that lost that night, Princeton showed they belonged. And I got to give a lot of credit to Princeton fans. I never thought I'd say this, but in Louisville, Princeton had the most fans. They had more fans in Alabama. They had more fans than Creighton, which travels well. And they had more fans in San Diego State, which I guess is not a surprise. Princeton fans came through, and you remembered this program's got a lot of legacy, right, Steve? And it really all came to the fore in what was a terrific week for Princeton Tigers basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I, and again, I just think an extension of the quality of play in New Jersey we've seen over the last few years. And, you know, this again, New Jersey and, and Jerry already brought up the amount of Jersey players involved in the final four. Um, you know, again, it's just it's like a golden age of college basketball in New Jersey right now. And I think Princeton is the latest, latest part of that story. A few more odds and ends on this. Uh, Princeton has two really good seniors who, who are graduating in May and cannot take a post-grad year at Princeton because the Ivy Leagues do not allow 50-year players, but these guys have a 50-year because of the COVID year. Tosana Womo, who emerged as a star in the NCAA tournament, we've been talking about him for weeks, Princeton's point forward. You know, I talked to him afterwards in the locker room. He's got a decision to make. Could he possibly play at another school and put on another uniform? That's going to be hard for him. He's a Princeton man through and through. Uh, but he's gotten a lot of NBA attention, especially off of this run Princeton's made. And I do think I'm pretty certain that he's going to test the waters, You know, examine the NBA draft process. I think he's got a shot to get drafted, definitely a shot at a two-way free agent contract. Uh, so he's going to He's going to be a guy who has a chance to play in the NBA and can certainly make a lot of money now playing in Europe. He is, he is from England. So it wouldn't be you know out of, out of character for him to go back to Europe and play in a high-end league there. I, I just don't know. Look, if he, if he enters a transfer portal, he's going to be a top five transfer in the country, maybe number one, okay? But I don't know if he's going to do that. I think my guess is my gut says he leans toward – uh, turning pro. We'll see. Ryan Langborg's another guy, 26 points against Creighton, sharpshooter. He's going in the portal, and I think he could help, you know, a high major or a high mid-major team somewhere. So a really good ending for those two Princeton seniors. It went out in a blaze of glory. Um, and that was that was very, very impressive. So a lot of a lot of Princeton pride all the way around. Uh good for them. And you know, great for us to see, like, like you said, Steve, Jersey basketball represented on that stage. And oh, before I forget, Steve, you mentioned you wrote a column. Rutgers, Seton Hall, time to schedule these guys. Come on, man, get with it. Well, it's honestly, and I think it's stunning when you look at how long it's been since they, they've they've scheduled Princeton, any of the high majors. So, um, Ten years and counting almost. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, listen, it, it's it's time to get that done. And uh, if, if they could get that done, Princeton and Seton Hall next year, um, Princeton Seton Hall or Princeton Rutgers, Princeton Rutgers, I think would be phenomenal. I mean, the, the Jersey Mike's arena would, would be going bonkers. And Princeton will do less than a, a home and home. Like they're not going to demand a home and home anymore. They would go two for one or some sort of, maybe even a one-off. 
Uh, Steve, I don't know. I just don't see Rutgers scheduling Princeton. There's some sort of bugaboo there with Rutgers. Uh, but I do think Seton Hall, there's a chance they'll schedule him. You know, Shaheen Holloway reached out to Mitch Henderson. They had never really crossed paths, I don't think. He reached out to him, uh, congratulating him on their run. And, you know, Mitch had said many times they've drew a lot off of what St. Peter's did last year as motivation. And uh, so Shaheen and Mitch connected. And Mitch said, this is a door open to hopefully us playing a game. Shah said in, in, in uh, November, Steve, that he would play anybody, any New yeah. Jersey team that asks for a well, game. He, so he knows he he's he's walked that path. He knows how hard it is for a right. mid-major to get good games, especially locally. So you know he gets it for sure. So Shaw's a man of his word, and let's see. You know now who knows what the, can they find a date? You know what dates they have in common? You know, but we'll see. But I think there's a chance that Seton Hall Princeton happens this year or in the near future. I would not hold my breath for Seton Hall Rutgers. I'm sorry. For Rutgers, Princeton, sadly. But yes, Princeton has earned its way back on the schedule of these teams. Absolutely. And that would be great to see. I mean, as you guys said, just for New Jersey basketball, to see these teams go head to head and scheduling Princeton, that's obviously a tough game. As we've seen, Princeton, it, it really just fell into place for them this year. They were a game short of the tournament last year. They win the Ivy League on their home floor. They're able to cut down the nets in their home gym. And then they go on this run where they upset a two seed. They have the eyes of the nation on them. As you said, Jerry, Mitch Henderson was everywhere. You turn on any of the, the major uh, national sports channels, and there he was being interviewed on SportsCenter or whatever it might be. So really just an outstanding run for Princeton. And you hope they can sustain it. And you hope to see them play some of these New Jersey schools in the coming years as well. And you hope that they can sustain it and be really that, that presence in the Ivy League that is competing not only to go to the tournament every year, but to win games in the tournament. And from what we've seen from them, they're obviously capable of it. So congratulations again to the Tigers. Uh, the lone representative for New Jersey into the Sweet 16, just an outstanding run from them. And of course, we'll be tracking them in the offseason to see if they're able to follow up that act next year. But it should be an exciting time in Mercer County there for the Tigers. As for another New Jersey school, I think this news broke right after we hit stop on our recording last week. But at uh, Fairley Dickinson, Tobin Anderson moving on to Iona. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Jerry. Well, you heard it here first, by the way. We said on the podcast that Iona was zeroing in on Tobin Anderson, and then it happened within an hour. So, look, it's a little, it's a little awkward because Tobin was only at FDU for 10 months. But this is the way the world works, man, and the college basketball – Tobin probably quadrupled the salary. Iona's a bigger stage. Steve could speak to that. They got a lot of resources, a lot of history. Uh, you could you could really you could win you could win big at Iona, and then you could use it as a springboard to something really big. And so you can't can you blame the guy? I mean, so it was, and I know he's. We had him on. He loves the show. He did a great job. We're gonna miss him. He actually we we were laughing. He said, oh, "I wish Iona was in New Jersey, so you guys would still cover me." And it was great. He was fun. He was a good coach. You know, it was he added a lot to this this whole scene for us this year. We're gonna miss him. So good luck to him. I don't blame him. Like this is why, you know, and players, people who say players shouldn't be able to transfer right away. Well, this is the argument why they should be able to transfer because coach is there one year and he's gone. So why can't the players have freedom of movement? I will like we said, like we said, the the freedom of movement comes with a detriment sometimes to academics losing credits in the transfer. That's an issue, especially players who transfer multiple times. But it's hard to fight that battle when a coach is leaving after a year, and that's just the way the world works. So 
congratulations to Tobin Anderson. We'll keep an eye on you and Iona from, from here. But uh, thanks for the memories. It was a fun year. I do think FDU did the right thing by immediately elevating Jack Castleberry, the top assistant to the head coaching position. They did it within hours. And it was the right thing to do because look at what happened with St. Peter's last year. Shaheen Holloway goes to Seton Hall. It takes them two weeks to find a coach. And by the time they do, the entire roster is in the transfer portal. Okay, they lost the top seven guys. FDU does have some talent returning. And I think they're going to keep that group intact with the quick move to elevate Jack Castleberry, who has an economics degree, by the way, an economics degree, guys. No economics degrees here, but he has one, and so does Mitch Henderson. Two of the eight New Jersey college basketball coaches have, have economics degrees. Holy smokes. Anyway, the uh, so, it, you know, good for them. They did the right thing, elevating Castleberry immediately. It makes sense. Look, FDU is not going to have – be able to go and get a big-time proven coach with their budget. So it was the right thing to do, keep the momentum going, keep the players there. And I thought that worked out well for all involved. While we're talking quickly on coaching news, I, I forgot to mention Princeton's associate head coach, Brett McConnell. He's going to be a head coach by the end of the week, maybe by the end of this podcast. I don't know, but there are two or three schools looking at him, seriously looking at him. It's time, like we, as we've said and written, he's ready, former Rutgers manager, Jersey guy through and through has been uh, really Mitch Henderson's right-hand man, great recruiter, an up-and-coming star. And, uh, you know, he's going to be a head coach soon as well. And if he does wind up landing a gig in New Jersey, who knows? NJIT is still open. Uh, he will be definitely be a guest on this podcast going forward. So that's what we got from FDU. Great run for our mid-majors in Jersey. Absolutely. Just a fun time, as we said last podcast, with FDU and Princeton making these runs. And, uh, of course, all good things must come to an end as both teams are out now. And we do have our final four set. San Diego State, FAU, Miami, and UConn. If you're looking for all the, the Kansas and Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina of the world, this is not your final four. Three teams making their first appearance in the final four. And, of course, UConn. Uh, they're looking for their fifth national championship. It would be their third national championship with a different coach. So some history opportunities there for all four of these teams. And of course, plenty of Jersey connections as well. So when you look at this final four, Steve, we'll start with you. Just what jumps out to you? What are you looking forward to most? Well, I think it shows the parity of this tournament in college basketball right now. You know, when you look at this group, um, you know, and I think, I think it leaves you wondering, you know, is is this going to change in, in college basketball now with NIL and are the top teams going to be able to have them who have the most money, be able to, uh, you know, buy the best players. And would it even matter in come March? Because as you see every year, it's not the team with the most talent that wins. And I think that's what make this tournament so incredible is, is that the underdogs matter as much as the blue bloods. And uh, I think that's what you see in this final four. Yeah, it's only in college basketball. There's no other. There's no other major American sport. No other. None. Not none of the pro sports. Not college football. There's no other sport where anybody can win big, and that's the allure, and that's what you're seeing. And Chris is going to tell you about FAU, Florida Atlantic, in a minute because he watched them twice this past weekend. But that is the absolute beauty of it. I want to just say, run down a quick list of our Jersey guys in the Final Four. Uh, starts with Dan Hurley, UConn's coach, St. Anthony High School, Seton Hall University. He's got a center, Adama Sanogo from the Patrick School in Elizabeth. Isaiah Wong, Miami's lead guard, 
South Brunswick grew, grew up there, attended Notre Dame High School, did a great job in helping them get past rally against Texas in the second half uh, yesterday. And Nick Boyd and Jalen Gaffney from Florida Atlantic. Chris saw them. We'll get to them in a minute. There's always a Jersey connection. I just want to say about Dan Hurley, I spent the last 24 hours talking to his old teammates from Seton Hall. And it is an incredible story what you know where Dan has come from. It's been pretty well documented how he struggled you know, to live up to the high bar set by his father and his older brother. When he played for Seton Hall, he'd go to arenas where they'd be chanting, Bobby's better. And it really got to him. Uh, it was it was hard. It was hard for him. And what a full circle moment to see him not only cutting down the nets, but being interviewed courtside by Westwood One's uh, radio analyst, PJ Carlissimo in Las Vegas, his seat, his coach at Seton Hall doing the game on radio, interviewing him. And so great legacy, right? What Seton Hall has produced some coaches, man. Shaheen Holloway in the Elite Eight last year. Dan Hurley in the Final Four and a favorite to win the national title. So good for Dan. He's been through a lot. Uh, you can see that he, he has a lot of his father and PJ in him, the way he coaches, and to his players respond. So it's a fantastic story. He's as jersey as it gets. So he will be the local headliner in uh, in the Final Four in Houston. And Chris, too, as Jerry said, you had a chance to see this FAU team. That It's the biggest underdog of the Final Four. They're, they come in as the nine seed, but they've obviously more than proven they belong here. And they're probably the one school people had to, to Google the most. It's in Boca, by the way. I'll save you the, the search. Not a bad place to be. It looks but, nice. It looks really nice if you look it up. It looks pretty nice. I think I made a mistake going to college. It's a coin flip between there and San Diego State. I don't know. Well, let's, let's just give the other. context here. Chris went to Syracuse where the icicles are three stories high. Yeah, there were no palm <laughs> trees. That's a lot different from Boca. Yeah. Wait till you see all the, the commercials from San Diego State and FAU game. I mean, they'll be selling those campuses. Uh, a, a lot of new applicants, I think, to, to both of those schools coming up. But uh, when you look at this FAU team, Chris, uh, what did you see from them in person? Just really well coached. They have, I mean, you can just tell the way that they talk about each other, the way that they, you know, communicate with Dusty May. They have great chemistry on the court, on the off the court. They truly believe that they deserve to be there, and they do. I mean, look, they're that's where they are. They play hard. They have, they play a, a fun style of basketball. They're a really fun team to watch. But just when you when you talk about Nick Boyd specifically, and and you know, he's the, obviously our local kid. Um, from Rockland County, New York, grew up in Garnerville. And it's just an incredible story. You know, he he went, he went started out his first two years at Don Bosco Prep up in Ramsey, uh, which is obviously a powerhouse. And, uh, he you know, he said to me, he said, I was, just wasn't good enough to, to play there at that point. He transfers to St. Mary's in Rutherford, which is a small Catholic school, um, NJIC school. Just, you know, it, it was it was totally different. But he becomes, uh, you know, he kind of becomes a go-to option for them, uh, gets hurt late in his junior year then scores 747 points a senior year. And his coach, Brian Gaccione, was telling people that if he leaves, if, if you don't give him a, a Division II offer, you know, he's going to go to a prep school and you'll never get, to get that opportunity again because he'll become a D1 player. He was that confident in it. And just offers weren't coming in. A couple did late, but just, you know, Boyd said, I want to take a chance on myself and, and go see what I can do with a gap year program. And his uncle is Fred Hill, former Rutgers basketball coach, who set him up at the Bosco Institute in Indiana. He goes out there, adds 20 pounds to his frame, develops into a, D1 player, Dusty May sees him at a, at a practice that was also being attended by Gonzaga. And Dusty May gets him down to Boca Raton, and now Nick Boyd's in the Final Four. I mean, so he went from not being able to get D2 offers as a senior 
to being in the final four with FAU. It's, it's an incredible story of perseverance and, and, you know, what he's overcome to get there. What a great story. And not just in the final four, he really helped them get there, right? He hit he the game winning game winning shot. Memphis. Yeah. And so he's been a big part of this. And, uh, I saw, you know, Chris, on that note, like no one would recruit the kid. Uh, I saw a, a note yesterday that there are zero five-star players in the Final Four. Yeah, zero. This is a lot. Zero. And that says a lot about the parity of college basketball, the value of team, and the fact that, you know, as I've harped on incessantly here, the scouting, the national scouting services don't get it. They just don't get it when it comes to analyzing players and seeing what's in a player's heart and, and including that in their analysis. So and it's development, you know, yes. I mean, you have to be able to project what a kid sure. can become. It's not just what he is sure. as a senior. I mean, that's just, it's a very, very small part of the process. You have some really good coaches in this final four and that's, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. I want to, I want to mention, uh, and we, I think we, we go around and say what we think is going to happen in this final four to close this out. But I want to mention that, uh, this has been get something off my chest for years of taking darts from people around the country on Mondays with my AP top 25 ballot. Uh, I added up all the, with the AP top final top 25, the rankings of the four teams where the AP had them ranked in the final poll where Ken Palm had them ranked on selection Monday and where the net had them ranked. These are the final four teams, right? So if you add up all four of those numbers, the AP top 25 voters had a total of 69 if you add them all up. The net had 70. It adds up to 70. And Ken Palm adds up to 84. So the humans beat the computers, okay? So <laughs> metrics don't play the game. Analytics don't play the game. There's a human element to this, and that's a big reason why FAU is in the final four and is all these sleepers. And so I'm not saying that, you know, the AP poll is more reliable than, than Ken Palm. It's, it's not okay. It's people, but for all the Ken Palm worship that goes on and all the heat, the AP poll gets in the end, none of that stuff matters because it's college kids and human element and a game with five on his side and anything can happen. And anything has happened. And as you look at this Final Four, we'll go around real quick and get our thoughts on it, our predictions. As I said, no one seed, no two seed, no three seeds. It's San Diego State, the five seed against FAU, a nine seed. And then Miami, the five against UConn, the four. Uh, from the looks of this Final Four, Jerry, it looks like UConn's title to lose. But as we've seen in March, anything's possible. And you compare it to last year's Final Four, by the way. Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova quite different this year. Uh, I guess you could make an argument for UConn being in that conversation for a blue blood. They've won four national championships. But when you look at this, some teams from off the beaten path represented in the final four. Yeah. And there's a chance you're going to have a true mid-major in, in, in the NCAA finals. Look, I'm going to, UConn deserves to be the overwhelming favorite. I think they match up great against Miami with, with UConn's size inside that Miami does not have. Miami's very guard oriented. Uh, so I like UConn to win that semifinal, and I I just but I do think San Diego State has a real chance to win the national title. I think that they they're the ones who knocked off the big boys, uh, Alabama in a road type environment. They're playing incredible defense, contesting every shot. 
They have the type of balance where they can survive a bad game from one guy. I, I think I'm going to just go rogue here a little bit. I think San Diego State is going to do it. I think they'll get by Florida Atlantic, and then I think they got a real shot to be the first true mid-major, I don't know, in modern times to win an NCAA title. I'm going to go with San Diego State in the upset over UConn in the final. Steve, how about you? Well, I agree on the final participants there. I just think I think San Diego State's defense has really been one of the kind of the shining stars of this tournament, really. Um, however, in the final, I like UConn. Uh, I like I like UConn over San Diego State. That's what I'm going with. Chris? I'm going with Steve. I mean, you watch the way UConn play. It's all coming together. I mean, obviously, they've been good earlier in the year as they, when they were number one. But, man, they're just playing some of their best basketball this season, blowing everybody out. You know, something to catching fire in the tournament. And I just think that they've caught fire. And I think I, I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be San Diego State and UConn, but I think UConn does it in the end. If if UConn does win, they're going to have to have a seven-second delay at Dan Hurley's press conference. <laughs> All the emotions going to come out. And, boy, will, will that be the most Jersey thing ever? I think I'll be boring and go with what Steve and Chris said. I think it's UConn and San Diego State in the final, and I'll give the slight edge to UConn there. And, you know, I, I've seen the argument online that maybe people won't tune in as much to this Final Four because it doesn't have the national brands. I think people appreciate good basketball, and I think these games that we're going to have in this Final Four, no matter what the matchup is in the championship game and the two semifinals as well, they have the potential to be all-time games when you look at these these matchups and, and what we've seen out of these teams in the tournament. So St. Peter's ratings were through the roof last year exactly. with the other games. People love an underdog. If you, if you scrolled through Twitter, for example, during the FAU and FDU game, it would have thought it was the it was game seven of the NBA finals. I mean, people are into it. They appreciate good basketball. They latch on to these schools when they go on runs. If they have zero connection whatsoever, they have a new favorite school in, Mon- in March. And that's what makes the tournament so great. So I don't want to hear that you need a national brand to, to make people watch this NCAA final four. People are going to tune in because they want to see if these underdogs can get it done. So my prediction, yes, it's UConn over San Diego state in the national championship game. It should be a fun weekend of college hoops. Just a quick programming note from us. Since the national championship game will be on Monday, we're going to come back to you on Tuesday to react to not only who wins that, but we'll do some season previews, wrap up the season, and look ahead for our New Jersey schools. So it should be a great episode coming next week as we wrap up the college basketball season. I can't believe I'm saying that. We started this, what, back in December, uh, November, and here we are coming to the end of the season. Uh, Amazing, Jerry. It's been a fun year. It has been a great year, an epic year, and it's but sad that it's coming to a close, but one more episode for us, and we will absolutely make the most of it. Absolutely, we will. And, of course, continue to read what Steve, Jerry, and Chris are writing for NorthJersey.com, APP.com, and MyCentralJersey.com. Thanks for listening to the show. We got one more coming your way. Enjoy the final four. We'll be back next week to talk about it right here on Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at APP.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.